Being dead is not so bad when you have the underworld to live in. A magical and expansive world inhabited by quirky, charming, and sometimes deadly inhabitants of the afterlife, the underworld also includes Aftervale. Aftervale is a happy hub where the dead spend eternity and begin to come to terms with their time alive through a remembrance. For our hero Scully, Remembrance Day comes crashing down as the humans invade from the kingdom above. Instead of raiding the underworld for treasures, they kidnap Aftervale's elder skeleton, Elzadon, and then go after the very magic that kindles the spirits of the dead, the Blue Flame. Without the Blue Flame, there is no Aftervale nor existence beyond death. Jump, slash, and flap your way through the underworld together with your best bat friend, Ember. It's up to you to stop the human invasion, save the Elder, and protect the Blue Flame and confront Scully's past life. The Skeletak Dungeon Diaries takes you behind the scenes on the creation of the magical world of Skeletak, a new game coming shortly to PC and consoles everywhere. We discuss the origins of the indie game story, creation of the game art, development of the game mechanics, and the inner workings of publishing an indie game. Stay tuned as we dive into the world of Aftervale and the realms beyond in the making of Skeletak. Dave, thanks for jumping on today, man. Dude, absolutely. Uh, it's always a pleasure to chat with you about all things video games. <laughs> so for, for anyone joining us now, um, what this is essentially is a developer diary that we're going to give you some insight into Skeletak and the game, how we came up with it, um, and you know the process that we've went through to bring this title to market. Um, so today we're going to focus on really the concept of Skeletak and how that came to be. Uh, and Dave's going to give some awesome backstory on um, all of these wonderful characters and the design and, you know, how we took it from being a one man show um, to a full fledged team that is building out this amazing world. Um, so, uh, Dave, let's start off with uh, some simple introductions and uh, and yeah, fill in our, our listeners on on your background, my background, and, and you know, our history yeah. of, of making art. Cool, man. Sounds good. Yeah, so as Shane said, I'm David Stanley. Uh, I'm the uh, the creator of Skeletak. I have a background in 2D art and animation. I grew up uh, pretty much spending all my days on Newgrounds and got a lot of inspiration from uh, people doing Flash animations. And uh, I, I love Tim Burton's work uh, in films like the Nightmare Before Christmas. That was a massive inspiration to me when I was coming up with the world of Skeletak and the characters that inhabit that world. Uh, and I just kind of, I always enjoyed storytelling, interesting storytelling, quirky characters, art, animation, uh, you know, from when I was about five till now. And uh, finally, I was able to combine all of those in, into this game. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time doing mobile games before I landed on Skeletak. So by the time I started working on this game, I already had a pretty good idea of how to concept out new mechanics, uh, do level design, uh, create puzzles, you know, creating animations and other art assets for usage in games. So it all kind of came together for me. Uh, Shane, I'll uh, send it over to you. Awesome, awesome. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm Shane Delamo. Um, I am the producer and co-director with, uh, with my partner, Joel, on Skeletac. Um, my background has been uh, starting off in 3D and visual effects early on in my career and then moved into product, product design, working um, through a bunch of different product designs for Amazon, Microsoft, um, Activision, Blizzard, uh, and really picked up Skeletac as we uh, we launched Yakuza and uh, went through ourselves as a, a studio and publisher. Um, met David along the way, uh, and then you know helped to really kind of build this out and get us on a, a roadmap towards towards launch. So, quick little uh, rundown of me, but um, Dave, let's let's dive into um, you know how how Skeletac really came to be. So I know when you were first working on it, it was more of like a pet project and you were, right. you were looking to uh, uh, essentially learn how to work in a, in a game engine. So uh, yeah. give me a little background on that. Yeah, sure. So like I mentioned in my introduction, I was doing a lot of work on mobile apps and my work at this time, it required no programming. It was a very uh, user-friendly user drag and drop system, uh, just kind of a, a, a toolbox of, of things for you to play with creatively. Um, and I was really enjoying this. I would I would create uh, short little demos about new mechanics or or characters or whatever, and I would send them over to my partner, and he would give me the green light or not, depending on what it was. And I remember there was this one demo I was going to try and create. It was going to be like a, a platformer or an endless runner, you know, simple mobile stuff. But I had created this uh, random little skeleton character and it was just a simple idle animation because usually when I would create a demo I would try to give it some flair something to just kind of make it interesting or to get someone's mind sparking on a new interesting idea um, we ended up not rolling with uh, the platformer endless runner idea um, so we moved on to other things and uh, eventually I'm like I love my job here, but I, I feel like I'm not really doing all that I can to create um, interesting stories. That existential or, crisis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, even though I was really busy with our work on the mobile stuff, um, I, I just started looking at, at engines that I, you know, maybe I can learn how to program. I was terrified of programming at the time, but uh, I felt like if I was going to make any sort of splash or or just feel like I was creating at my top level, I needed to have more control. So I found Game Maker and fell in love with it. Uh, the community for it was really strong. Uh, everyone was very helpful. And uh, I just, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to make a platformer. Mm -hmm. um, yep. You know, I, I had gotten some, uh, some fantastic tutorials from YouTube and setting up the platforming engine was uh, very simple. And uh, I, randomly, I tossed in my uh, my skeleton idle animation just to see where it took me mentally. And I just never took it. I never pulled it back out. I never replaced it with anything. I was, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to do a game about a skeleton. Like, I don't see a ton of those. <laughs> and maybe I can do something interesting with the story that really makes it stand out. And that was uh, that was the beginning. I just kind of randomly plopped something in there and uh i just kind of 
every day I would just kind of like have my shower thoughts and I was right. like, what is this? What, what is this exactly? Like, why am I playing as a skeleton? You start asking yourself these simple questions and you don't know the answer immediately, but it comes to you. Uh, and that's, uh, that, that's how Skeletac began. Right. And you, so traditionally you, you came into this and you, you really didn't have any coding experience, right? So right, I, I, right. I know for a lot of, a lot of people that get into gaming, they have a, a true passion for, uh, trying to create something very cool and very fun. Uh, but traditionally they may not have, um, that background to go and code or, uh, may not have an art background in order to create really good assets, but they, they do know how to code. Um, right. so you're, you're on that area where yes, you've, you've been an artist, you've been an illustrator, an animator, um, you've done a, a lot of freelance work, um, and worked on some mobile games for, for different assets. Um, so what was that like kind of getting up and running initially, um, as a, as an artist versus a coder? Um, and what, what kind of advice would you give for, um, other people out there that are looking to do the same? Yeah, great question, man. Um, it was really like baby steps like learning it was like learning a new language i mean it, it is a language a programming language um i it was really important to me learning programming for the first time to take every line and understand why it was written like that what why the syntax is the way it is and why if you change it things will break or work in very strange ways that you don't expect um so you know you would have you would have people in the community, in the forums, coming in and they would want an answer to a question about how to solve a programming issue. And they would get their answer. And uh, it's one thing to copy paste, you know, 20 lines of someone else's code and just be off on your way and you're right. happy with it. But you're not really, if you're not really understanding why that works the way it does, um, you're going to have big problems down the line. So, as much as you want to take off running with your idea, you really need to like crawl very slowly. Right. Um, and that was, that was a patience that just came with me being 30 years old at the time. And just knowing like, Dave, if you want to do anything cool here that you actually finish for once in your life, <laughs> uh, you need to kind of just take it, take it slow, dude, take it slow. Um, so within about two weeks, I was able to think about a mechanic or a function that I wanted to have in my game. And in my mind, I could see the code coming together for how I would create these variables and reference these variables and turn them on or off or make sure they don't fire more than once. Um, that's always a big problem. Yep. But uh, yeah, it was just very, very slow, like learning learning a new language for the first time. Um, as far as the art side of it, I felt fairly comfortable. Um, uh, the big problem for me was backgrounds and environments at the time um, because I just, I never really had to focus on those. I was always such a, such a character artist. Yep, secondary, right. Right, exactly. So um, figuring out how uh, parallaxing was going to work and how everything needed to be tiled together in a way that made sense, whether you were moving horizontally or vertically. These are things that I really, really struggled with in the beginning. And uh, it was just, you know, it's I, one piece of advice that I would give is um, it is okay not to know everything about 
your project before you begin. So much of this, like, like if I waited to know everything that I would need to know about Skell Attack, I wouldn't have started that project for five years. Right. I would I would be starting it right now. Um, it's it's okay not to know. Like this needs to be an insane learning experience. So, you know, be create be creative in your thoughts and how you solve problems. Um, something I would often turn to was, I do not know how to code this, but I can fake it with animation. So okay. if you have strength in like, for instance, um, if you wanted magical orbs to come out of a chest and and go in a circular pattern around that chest um dude i don't know how to code something to move in a perfect <laughs> circle there's a lot of math involved but i can animate it very easily so um there's a lot of trickery there where it's like if you have strength in one area or the other use it to your advantage to you know kind of pull the wool over your audience's eyes like this whole thing is one big magic trick right essentially yeah, I mean, there, there's so much as part of um, developing games or uh, creating movies that is really fake it, fake it till you make it, right? And exactly, and, and putting up putting up what you see in front, but you know, it, it may be held together with uh, you know some some duct tape behind the scenes. <laughs> but if that's it, for sure. If it looks and it works well, then that's all that matters, right? Um, right. Like, obviously, right. yes, you want to have clean code and you want it to function and, and the performance needs to be solid. But mm -hmm. at the same time, there's a lot of uh, bugs and a lot of hacks that uh, developers and artists both like go through and, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll put those together. But as long, as long as it looks good and it functions and it plays well, um, then, then that's, that's what really matters in the end. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, like on, on Twitter, um, don't mean to interrupt, but uh, on, on Twitter, like how many how many amazing threads do we see where it's like, hey, game devs of Twitter, tell us about a time that you did something crazy just to ship a game. And you see like triple A developers and artists coming into these threads sometimes saying like, oh yeah, like we had an issue with our save function on the game. So we actually had to write this really weird code and we're never... We were never quite sure why it worked, but it actually got us to ship our game on time. So it's exactly. in there, but we just don't understand why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I th this happens everywhere. It it, yeah. it happens everywhere on every game. Um, you know, even those games that everyone's like, "Oh, it's a really solid game." They they built this really <laughs> well. I, I'm yeah. fairly certain I, that there there's a lot of that behind the scenes just to just to be able to hit time frames. And to be able to get the users or players their features that that they're looking for in the gameplay, right, right, it's crazy, man. So you know, um, Game Maker has a lot of good uh, drag and drop functionality to get you going and get you started. But um, you know, there there is a deeper area that you need to go in to really get the more complex items done. So mm -hmm. I, I mean, how how did you handle that early on? Um, and then, you know, as we, as we progressed through the development of the game, you know, how, how did that evolve? Yeah. So in the very beginning, I was aware of the drag and drop functionality. It was one of the things that, that pulled me in their direction. I knew it would be a fine safety net, but I set this rule for myself early on that I did not want to rely on it if I didn't have to, um, in the very beginning, uh, there were a few drag and drop functions that I did utilize where, it was like 
when an instance of something was created, I, I had a drag and drop function to make it travel to the right. You know, maybe it was like a fireball or some projectile right. or something. Simple stuff. Um, but as I was doing it, I remember feeling, I remember feeling kind of ashamed, like, like Dave, you don't need to be doing this. And <laughs> so I, it just became like this, uh, just kind of beating myself over the head with like, this is a fine crutch to have, but do not rely on it. Um, so as much as I could, I just kind of resolve, made this resolution to, uh, just code it, code it if I can, because I know it's going to help me out in the long run. So, um, you know, within a, within a couple weeks of really starting on the project, I had very minimal drag and drop. And, uh, I, I think that was really the way to go because it was like, why, why am I even working on this game? If I'm just going to do the same old you know, non-coding functions that I've always been doing. Like, that's not why I started this, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I, I think I think for a lot of people, it can be a, a solid foundation to get them off the ground. And then, right. then they can go and customize beyond that. Um, yeah. But it, it's, good, it's good in a sense to teach you logic and how to think in a certain way. And then right. after that, you can start to explore some of those deeper, deeper pockets of development or, or coding. Yeah, not to talk badly of drag and drop or, or anyone who uses it, because like you said, yeah, you you get to start thinking in that logical step by step way, um, where like, okay, it's going to move this far. What's going to happen when it hits the wall? I need to figure that out. Right. Even if you are figuring this out through drag and drop, you're starting to think like a programmer. So it does help. It still does help bridge the gap between, you know, non-programmers and programmers. Um, so yep. it's nice training wheels to have if you need it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for all of those people that that wonder, hey, how can I get a game out if I'm more confident in art, but less in code? Um, you know, find those people out there that fill those gaps that you, you know, have. You know, there, there's a lot of people out there that are making their own projects that are really solid in one area, but may not be in the other um, so network, have, have conversations with other people out there. Um, or if you need to, you can always hire somebody as well. Um, there's a lot of freelancers out there that, um, you know, have a passion for games that they, they may not want a huge salary, but they want to be involved and they want to, you know, work through their passion, which is creating games. Um, exactly. That's a great point. Um, which reminds me of uh jamal green skeletax composer he's amazing at what he does and so passionate about it and he was one of he was the first person besides myself to work on skeletax um because i like shane mentioned i i was posting some stuff online i was trying to do some networking trying to see if there was any sort of interest behind what i was doing uh, even though it was very crude at that time. And Jamal hit me up one day and he's just like, I want my music in this game. I, I must have my music. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, you're incredibly kind and I really appreciate it, but I don't have money for anybody. That's why I'm working all by myself and right. doing this whole thing for free. And he's just like, he comes back and he's like, I don't care. Like, I just, I just <laughs> want to work with you. And I'm right. like, all right, dude, let's, uh, let's, Let's see what you got. And he absolutely blew me away. And um, it's really cool, like, you know, now in 2020 to actually be able to um, to give him 
money for his hard work. But at the, <laughs> for, for years and years, he just he just was there with me working for free. And I'm just like, man, I I I love you for this. Like, I really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, you don't always don't ask people to work for free on your game if you can help it. <laughs> but sometimes things just come together and the right people come into your life. But you will not meet these people if you're not out there putting your work in front of people's faces and exactly doing some networking you know what you were just saying with uh with jamal and and you know the the relationship you guys built early on really goes against um you know what you logically think of you know at least from a producer standpoint um of how you'll go through that development life cycle right so um at the beginning you'll start off you'll do your pre-production you'll start to map out all the levels you'll go through the coding uh, you'll do a bunch of testing and QA while also um, going through and scoring some of this, some of the different levels or areas. And uh, someone like Jamal is able to go in and see like, hey, this is the gameplay. This is the progression of the story. Um, and they can create soundtracks to go along with that. Right. Right. Um, so how it was approached by you guys early on was much different because it was a friendship that was created at the beginning and there was a real passion for the story. So uh, some of Jamal's ideas and uh, inspirations with like Danny Elfman and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and, and different different titles and movies like that uh, really kind of helped shape some of the art assets you created as well as some of the story, right? Yeah, it was a very interesting kind of positive feedback loop where I would I would have, you know, bits of footage and concept art to show him and he would create and sometimes he would take the initiative and create for areas that I hadn't even thought about yet and um, or really planned out. And, you know, then I listen to his music and then create based on the feeling that it kind of gives me. And uh, it was just a, a really interesting way to work that seems like it shouldn't work out as well as it did but um he was he was just that good at, at he's just that good at what he does um i rarely had to come back and be like dude this does not sound good can you please like you know fix the percussion or fix this timing or whatever it was pretty much everything he did i was like perfect <laughs> let's go it was just and i know like yeah yeah when you got when he would drop stuff into our discord and you you'd be listening to it and he's just like and, and you're just like, wow, Jamal is the man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he came in and, and, you know, even at that early stage where we were still saying, hey, what, what is the backstory to this? You know, like, like he yeah. was still like cranking out gold. Yeah, yeah, really incredible. And he would come to me with his own ideas, like uh, the Goblin's Goblet bar in Aftervale. Um, like that was, that was born because of one of his ideas he comes to me one day and he's like dave i had this thought like what if there was this little skeleton band or something uh playing music somewhere and i could write music for them to play in game and i'm like dude okay this is great like it's exactly the voice of skeletac like he just understood things that would be nice to have in this game uh and the the musical voice of this game um and he came to me with that and i'm like all right, cool. Well, they need a place to play. I guess. I guess I'm gonna build a bar, <laughs> and it really doesn't have any any point, you know, at, at that stage of production. It didn't really have a point in the game to exist. But that's something else I love about games. Like, not everything is part of your objective. Some right. things are there just to be pretty to look at, or to hang out, or you know, 
see what the characters have to say. And 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 that's life, right? And exactly, I, I, I think I think that that matches the realism of life, where there there's things that that alter your perceptions and how you view the world, but um, you may not necessarily interact with them all the time. Right, but they are there, and they have a, a life and a progression of their own. I mean, in Skeletech, we don't have anyone who has a real progression or a, or a, a daily routine. But you know, you kind of imagine that like these people or these characters are kind of they're going about their daily lives the best that they can. Whether you know, whatever, regardless of what you're doing as a as a player. Right. It's 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 the culture. It's it's their life. Mm-hmm. It's how Aftervale functions. You know, like the the Goblin's Goblet is a part of their daily life in Aftervale. You know, that's where people right. people go after working on the mines and yeah, you know, yeah. go and, ha- and have a drink. <laughs> it was it was interesting to me as a creator how how deeply I started to think about um, the things I was adding into the game. It, uh, Goblin's Goblet to me became this uh, kind of a kind of a sad not a sad place, but it was sad for me to think about it. Like. The, everyone in here knows the raid is happening by the humans, and they know that things are looking pretty pretty dark. Um, they've never seen a raid like, quite like this, but uh, it's important to their state of mind and their mental health to still try and put on some sort of happy face and try, you know, just try and get through their day the best they can. Whether it's you know drinking alone at a table or listening to the band play or chatting with the bartender. And I'm just like, wow, this, in, in so many ways, it, it echoes, again, what we see in real life, where we just, we try to make the best of a weird situation. Right, right. So, I, I mean, early, thinking back early on um, with, you know, discussing some of these art, art assets or some of these environments that were created, it was it was very, very bare bone, right? So we, like when the yeah. game started off, it started as that tutorial, you started building out some of these areas or some of these assets and eventually got to that spot where you had, you know, I, I think I think when we first, uh, when we first signed Skeletac, it was four four areas, but they, yeah. were, they were like two to three rooms each. So it was like- <laughs> It was very short. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, it was short. Um, but I, I think uh, I think it's an interesting story that that should be told in terms of like how how um, you know from my side Yakuza was created, but how we kind of came together and that partnership. So do do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Um, yeah, sure. Where, um, where you were when uh, when we first first met? Yeah. So I spent about a year working on the game uh, before I dropped a first public demo. I wanted to be, I knew it wasn't perfect, but I wanted to have it as solid as I could. And uh, the reception of that was so much better than I imagined. Um, anyway, you know, from that point, I keep on working, I keep on doing bug fixes. I dropped at least one more demo by myself. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? I think I might be able to sell this on Steam at least. Um, you know, sell a few copies, something like any any money that come anybody that spends money on on this game would be you know such a blessing <laughs> so um i'm like uh, i'm looking at steam and i end up getting uh i i end up going through the process to get uh greenlit on steam back when they still had that and i was so proud and i was like well you know steam is cool but still i'm just one guy and i'm not the best at self marketing 
so I think it might be it might be in my best interest and the game's best interest to um, to have the support of a publisher. So I'm looking up all these uh, lists of indie friendly publishers and the types of games that they put out, and I'm like, okay, this kind of seems in line with what Skill Attack is going to be. So I, I ended up sending out uh, close to a hundred emails. Um, most of them didn't reply, and the ones that did reply, uh, they had a full roster, or you know, the game probably wasn't up to their standard, which is completely understandable. Um, it's important in these times not to let that sort of <laughs> that sort of uh, rejection phase you, right? Because yeah, you know, they're there are billions of people on this planet. Somebody is going to say yes to this game. <laughs> so, uh, it, oh man, I love telling the story of how I met Yakuza because it's, it's just, it's insane. Um, so after all that rejection, I'm kind of like gathering myself back up and I'm trying to get back on, get back in the saddle, so to speak, and figure out what my next steps are going to be. And one day I had posted something on Twitter from the game and, uh, I see, um, Yakuza liked this, and immediately after, Yakuza followed you. Um, and usually, when I get a, a, a like or a follow, um, I will go and check out the profile. You know, you never <laughs> know like what kind of people you'll find. And uh, I'm like, oh wow, Yakuza! They've got their publisher. Sweet. Let me go check out the website. And <laughs> you guys had never published a single game, and I'm like. That's fine. I've I've never published a game either. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I, I see the the tagline or or the mission statement, so to speak, and it's like, you know, Yakuza. I'm paraphrasing, but Yakuza w- was interested in putting out. You know, they were they were interested in interesting stories and quirky characters, and I'm like, that's that's Skell Attack. That's so basically I, me. I, yeah. <laughs> so um, I go back over to Twitter and I hop in the DMs, and I'm like. Hey, um, I see you're a uh, an indie publisher. Um, I'm I'm really I'm really in the market right now to put out Skell Attack, and uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to send you a pitch over the next couple of days. And uh, you wrote back, and you were like, "Well, we've been we've been watching your your what you're making here, and we're really interested in uh, possibly bringing you on." And I'm like, "Wow!" <laughs> it was just this uh, weird instance of. Um, a, a very influential contact kind of falling into my lap. Like I'd sent out all these emails and I'd done all this legwork. And then in the end, the one that mattered was like just kind of hanging out on Twitter, just like stalking my page quietly for a while. <laughs> That's right. Got, got, got to see where you're going with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember having that first real face to face through the internet chat with you and, and Doug and uh, the the passion that you guys had for what I was building, it came through in a big way. And that that more than anything was what made me sign with you guys. Um, I remember we were talking about possible funding for me to finish it up, and I was like, "Nah, I'm I'm good. Like, I have a job already. Like, I'm just kind of doing this for fun." And I don't know. It, it just felt weird for me to take money from someone at that time because i was still extremely unsure of myself right and, yeah um you guys were like <laughs> you guys had such great ideas for how we could improve this game and actually take it to market and have it be something really fun that people would enjoy and i'm like man 
I, I've got to roll with these guys. I don't care how fresh they are in this industry. Um, I, I think we can make something really cool together. So that was that. Was that. Yeah, I, I mean, Doug and I, Doug and I were really excited for the game. Um, and the, I, I think the big thing that sold us was uh, the quality of some of the animations that we saw. So like, hmm. like the level design was still fairly bare boned. Um, there weren't a ton of mechanics at that point. Um, right. But we we saw there was potential in all of the all of the little animations so like the run animation uh, one of my early favorites was the demon librarian just flipping through yeah. the pages yeah. uh, i was like oh man like i i could i could see this like even as a movie or something like that with these these awesome <laughs> little characters um so like like just speaking to that point um around all of the people going out there looking for a publisher um you know don't don't be discouraged when it comes to sending out your pitch to a publisher. So one, one, we get we get tons of pitches every day, uh, but we just can't get through all of them. Some some of them are not relevant to us. Um, you know, Yakuza doesn't publish mobile games. That's not that's not one of our areas of focus. But we still get pitches for mobile games, um, and I, I think that's on the part of the person pitching the title like do a little research on who your publisher is that you're you're going after um right. if they don't specialize in mobile or they don't specialize in console like like find that out if they don't specialize in story games and they just want you know like first person shooters or battle royales then you know you'll know that ahead of time and you're you're able to go in and send them the the right information and, and get it to the right right person so yeah, yeah it's important to cast a wide net but m your net needs to make sense you right, know right. don't send a mobile game to epic <laughs> exactly exactly i mean they they have infinity blade but like that's not their that's not their bread and butter right their right. bread and butter is fortnite or you know any i think uh, robo recall was their other one that they did recently oh oh yeah um so yeah i mean like Go out there, like show show off your work. That's the big thing. Build a community. Um, you know, get get the work out there because you you never know. Like someone someone could be watching and they they might just be waiting. They might, may just need a little bit more information, like what we were doing. Mm -hmm. We 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 liked what we saw, but and we we saw potential there, but we wanted to see how it grew. Um, right. And you know that that led us to, you know, the the eventual signing of the title. Um, and then we went and we started going full force with it, right? So we started going PAX yeah. South um, and we got it into the PAX Rising and we met some fantastic people, some of which now work on our team. Um, right. And then also out to PAX East and huge booth and next to some of these, some of these other big players. Um, and that, that solidified some of these relationships even more, you know? Um, but through through that growth and through that expansion is where we decided, hey, we're going to expand our offering as a company, and you know, instead of just purely publishing titles for for third parties, hey, let's unlock some of these these uh, partnership opportunities that we have, and really go after go after uh, the development of the title in house, right? So that's where mm -hmm. that's where we said, hey, let's let's bring Skeletech in house. You join us as a member of our team. And we'll we'll go after this, and we'll we'll really make this into a, a much bigger game. Um, right. 
and that that's where we started hitting the ground right and started reaching mm-hmm. out to people and um the game became much bigger and we started locking in partnerships so um right. you know going from the initial team of just you working on the the game to now i think it i think it's a, a team of 13 13 people um you know that's a huge jump yeah it is uh it constantly boggles my mind um that it, it you know just how really how much this project and this company has grown and it feels it feels surreal to know that like like dude dude you you like you were the start of this and now like everyone is has your back on bringing this thing to the market um i i'm constantly thankful for uh you guys reaching out and just everyone putting in the time and the the blood sweat and tears you know like yep. ev- everyone has wasted many weekends and sleepless <laughs> nights <laughs> working on this game uh I, I never, I never thought it would be anything more than like a quick summer project, <laughs> right? And I, scope, scope grew so much with this this title after we yeah. um, moved in house, and there was, you know, there was always that question from our community of like, hey, who is Scully and what is his background, right? So we, mm-hmm. we, we, we were like, all right, now since we're now since we're creating these partnerships with other companies and we're we're you know getting more visibility on this. Uh, we really need to up that bar, you know. So like, right. like how can we how can we grow the game much further? And that's that's where um, you know we really put our heads together and we said, what does this story look like? And like answering that old question that our community always had, which was, who is Scully? You know, who was <laughs> who was he before he became that skeleton? And yeah. that, that that just shaped the game so much from that one question from the community and and just changed changed the entire world. It really did. Like the game has so much more heart now, and it's more than it's more than just a challenging, fun game that's going to kill you hundreds of times. Now it's like a story that I actually became really invested in learning those final answers to. And I remember we had so many hours long meetings between the team members on Discord just to just to solve this very strange puzzle that we'd set up for ourselves. Like, what is the purpose? of this dungeon you know what who is who is scully like what was his past because he was obviously alive at some point if he is now a skeleton and uh it it was it was really cool to just kind of you know brainstorm this together and bat all these ideas back and forth and what we ended up with i think it's the perfect story for this game honestly yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of a lot of quirky elements and you know people that have been following our, our twitter have seen some of these new bosses and some of these new areas that we've been showcasing and uh we, we really played on on that that quirky um i'm blanking on the movie right now that we <laughs> that we were like oh we're, we're essentially making this movie but with all these characters uh oh, oh the was it? holy grail holy grail <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, like the game definitely doesn't uh, take itself too seriously, but there uh, there there are some good moments where I gotta admit I was like getting a little bit emotional, like reading reading the scripts that were coming through and right. uh, hearing hearing the writers' different ideas. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 funny because we we were like, okay, who ultimately does Scully 
have to battle. And, and we always said, okay, it's a reverse dungeon crawler, right? So mm-hmm. it's it has to be the humans. We have to be that NPC in the dungeon fighting the humans. Um, yeah. And you know, we, we said, but how can we how can we keep this quirkiness? And and we said, okay, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, right? Like, um, you know, they're all just overblown characters. They're, they're, <laughs> right. they're all, all, all the stereotypical characters. And um, we decided to run with that and really build that out much further. Um, so that turned into like funny little stories or little backgrounds for some of these bosses. Uh, but it's also a challenge. You know, there's, there's yeah. all of these mechanics wrapped up in each of these uh, stereotypical bosses. I think we struck a really good balance between challenge and um, just memorable quirkiness. Like some of the some of the people you'll come up against, they seem not stupid, but almost a little bit inept right. yep. <laughs> in their approach. But, but um, yeah, it, it's this interesting thing where even though the humans are the enemy in this game, we still wanted them to be incredible incredibly memorable or even lovable in some cases where uh again like in life even even sometimes the enemies have motivations that you could not agree with but you could sympathize with their reasoning behind it right right yeah I, I... There's so much of the story that, like, I want to say and reveal, but I, <laughs> yeah. but I can't. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the 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 process was really interesting. Um, you know, just how we how we came about building that out, and you know how how we went from a one man show to managing a full team. Um, so part of that was. You know, on, on, on my plate to teach you guys some of the development lifecycle stuff. So how do we how do we move to an agile methodology? How do we start planning out our quarters? How do we start doing sprints? Um, and, you know, all of these things with the story elements and the mechanics and um, uh, all of the different art assets or, or code, code and functionality. Uh, we, we had to plan that out. Right. So that. Uh, a, yeah. a lot of a lot of indie devs will go in and will be like, "All right, we're just going to work on this," and you know, like, yeah, ne- I was the same way. Pops up. Yeah, like I I had a I remember my earliest um, uh, organization that I was so proud of. I had this uh, spreadsheet on Google Docs, and uh, I had like all my things I wanted to get done, which at that time was not a huge list, and I had it all color coded, and I was like, "I'm going to mark it." green when it's finished and it's red when it's not finished and i didn't have a timeline on any of it i was just like it gets done when it gets done and uh then you guys got involved and you you know you had you came from this background of just like roadmap and planning and these are the marks we need to hit this is when we need to hit them and if we don't we'll work with it but we really need to try and hit these deadlines um and we weren't hardcore about that in the beginning, but you were you introduced it slowly, which was what really helped me um, as a a strange, lazy artist. <laughs> um, like I, I needed to like dip my toes into that bathwater slowly and like kind of get used to it, you know. Right. And now I couldn't imagine working any other way. Like Skeletech would have failed without those um, supports in place. So. Uh, yeah, I'm always I'm always really thankful that you you had that knowledge and you could help help us with it. 
you know, and I, I think we even, we even fell into that sometimes, you know, it's the same, same with a lot of artists that are out there, a lot of game developers is they, they will have feature creep. They will, they will have those things where they're like, that's really cool. Let's get it in there. Um, but at the same time, you need a little discipline and say like, listen, like that, that is feature creep. We, we don't have time for it, or we have to cut this element because we have to hit this milestone. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. the, it's, it's the give and take, right? So like you can mm-hmm. always continue, continually work on something and keep it going. But again, it's never going to reach market if you don't cut yourself off. Um, exactly. so we, I, I mean, we've had to make hard decisions like that in the past. Um, yeah. but it's part, it's part of that process, right? Um, yeah. I, I think even, even on some of that, um, when it came down to, to roles and how we, how, you know, at, at first it was you, you were the sole, sole person working on it. You were directing it. And then when we expanded that team and expanded the scope of it, it's like, Hey, uh, maybe I'm going to focus strictly on, you know, kicking out some really awesome art and really focusing right. on the, the art direction for the game. And, yeah. um, you know, Joel, Joel did the same thing where it was like, Hey, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to pick up the direction of the title, but I'm going to also own all of the development and functionality. And mm-hmm. that, that became difficult because it grew so much. And that's where I think we, we ended up with, you know, you really owning the art, the art side of it, um, Joel really owning the development side of it, and then me on the producing and the the directing with Joel, kind of splitting that role. It was like right. okay, the the ownership. We all had our individual pieces that we owner we owned, and like you managed that full team of all of the different artists and all of the different assets that had to come out, and I worked with you on on some of that and how we set up the cutscenes and you know some of the feedback right. on the art. And then Joel was really focused in on some of the level layout as well as building in some of these mechanics for bosses or enemies. Um, so yeah, like we all had our lanes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, I, you know, we we faced it early on where there were everyone on a smaller team wants to have a say in something, and they want a very yeah. democratic process, which is good. It's good, mm. um, but at the same time there isn't a final decision made or you know there's too much back and forth where you get paralysis and no decision is made at all <laughs> right right it, it got to a point where uh, you have to you have to understand that even on this game that you love so much sometimes i just had to step back and let the decision be made by someone else and it wasn't due to apathy on my part it was just look a decision needs to be made let's just someone someone needs to make this decision i don't want to go back and forth on it all day or have my hand in every tiny thing that comes that comes up um so it's just like the game the game and getting this game out is bigger than our any person's ego on the team and that can be a that can be a challenge um especially like if you have created this world yourself and you're very invested in seeing that everything is perfect in this world it can be difficult to step back like i struggled with right. that and i'm i try to be a, a very humble person in my daily life but on this i was like i remember when we talked about bringing on another person to help with programming i was like no <laughs> <laughs> like and now i mean obviously it was the best decision but it's really hard to kind of give up control sometimes 
but that's part of like do you want to stay indie forever or do you want to actually make something that's a, that's bigger than that you know right right yeah you i mean you you hear about all of these indie titles that um, go into development and last for five or ten years, which is insane. It's absolutely insane. It um, is. It is. But I, I think part of that is do do these team members delegate work? Do they own specific pieces of it? Um, and are are you willing to put trust in other people to get this game to market? Right. Um, you know, fill those gaps that you don't have as a uh, an individual. Um, and you know, hire, hire those people, like br bring on the friends that know how to, how to code. And, um, you know, we, we did that with Joel and Joel came in and just brought like a, another level of mastery to, to programming. Right. Yeah. It's like, wow. Someone on the team who actually knows how to program. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, D Doug being the amazing writer he was and, you know, the, the, the so social maestro, um, yeah. just coming in and, and really, Taking taking the team's big ideas for the stories and drilling it down into a um, you know a, a cohesive plot that's you know has a, a, a start a middle and an end um, right. and then trip trip coming in to really kind of fill that out and then you know all of the other um, artists that worked on your team and then the developers that worked on Joel's team. Um, yeah. Really filled in those gaps and allowed us to do so much more in a much shorter period of time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, we didn't, you know, once things really kicked into high gear, it moved very quickly. And, you know, every week I would look at our roadmap and things that we had planned that were definitely not going to be cut from the game. And I'm like, wow, uh, there's no way I could have done this project by myself. Or it would have taken me a decade to do it. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just it was it was amazing the speed with which we were able to execute once we had you know a fairly full roster of uh, of people to help. Right, right, and you know because because of some of these partnerships that we that we landed, we we said to ourselves, hey, we have to raise the bar on this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we we went from that initial initial four areas of the game that had two to three rooms each uh, to six areas that have what, what are we, what are we <laughs> say, like like 15 uh, rooms each or something yeah yeah it averages out about 15 rooms per area I think and uh, there and there's so much more exploration that's available and I mean even yeah Joel like Joel when he came on he adapted really quickly to the type of gameplay that I w was setting up with my old demos and he was all about uh, these really difficult passages and really challenging platforming and he took great joy in uh, tormenting the player he would send me he would send me these ideas and he's like Dave Dave look and uh, <laughs> I'm like oh god what is he doing now and he'd show me like some crazy uh, platforming sequence he'd set up uh, using like really interesting ideas like using our hazards and enemy placement in interesting ways and i'm just like man i'm you know like so thankful to uh have people like that on this team who just they in inherit that passion it like kind of trickles down and i don't have to be like god i hope joel actually understands this project or <laughs> i hope he's not screwing something up it's just like this trust that 
I don't have to like see what Joel's doing every day. Like I trust him. I trust you. You know, I, I trust all of our team members to just kind of take ownership and take pride in, in this project. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember going through some of the, the cutscenes and, and blocking them in and, and being like, okay, this is the, this is the emotion that Scully has to show here, or this is where they need to be standing. Um, yeah. and I remember throw, throwing some of those ideas over to Joel and he's like, no, no, he's like, <laughs> he's like, that's not going to work. I, I, I we, we can't do that. And then, then it's like, all right, well, man, let's, let's figure out how we do this then. And then, you know, a day later we'll come back to the thought and Joel has the whole thing like all built out and he's like, Hey, check this out. And I'm like, bro, this is, this yeah. is delicious. Like this yeah, is great. Yeah. Oh um, man. That's great. <laughs> and like with myself, um, I, uh, I, I, I take pride in my work, but I don't always have the best ideas immediately, you know? And so a lot of times it would just be me sending ideas over over to you and i'm like hey what do you think and you're like yeah i don't think we're quite there yet <laughs> yeah i mean like, uh, you know, and it's, you know you don't like you, you can't let it you can't let it hurt your ego or uh, or hurt your feelings um it's just like you know like i sometimes like i would put a lot of work into a concept and it would get shot down or we would have like a lot of things we wanted to tweak about it and it's like initially it hurts like ah i kind of wasted some time on this one but when you kind of take the takeaway needs to be like like he loves this game he right. loves this project he's not like that that's exactly what you needed to be doing is like you know we're not going to let anything come through that's anything less than beautiful so uh yeah. even when i couldn't hit the mark the first time it's like ah all right well let's let's figure out how we do hit the mark and uh yeah we we made it we made it happen yeah yeah i i mean i remember all of these art assets and it was su such an evolution from where it started right on mm -hmm. on some of these it was very high level it was very conceptual like some of the poses or animations um right. and then like it was like ah no like th this piece feels a little bit off and i was like all right let me go back and do it and then um you know you come back with some something new or, or, or a revision on it and it's like whoa that looks smooth like like that, yeah. that animation that's spot on with what we needed yeah and sometimes it took multiple iterations and uh you know we're you can't you can't be perfect even even as like the creator there were times where i just don't have my vision perfected about how something needs to move or or look and it's just it's just been really great having uh people on the team to bounce those ideas off of and just really dial it in uh, and it's it's funny because like by the end, um, <laughs> like you know, just just doing like some promotional um, paintings and whatnot, uh, I would still kick things over to you, Shane. And it was very little reiteration that I needed to do by that point because it was like I don't know, we we've just like grown so much, and I could I could hop into these these other art assets and. Uh, pretty pretty consistently you were just like yeah it looks great <laughs> yeah. yeah like we we all had the world down pat we knew the story we we knew all all of the finer elements and and gameplay and how it needed to translate into new art right um, right so it just it just became that seamless smooth process yeah 
And, you know, even even looking at, at the different levels that we had. So when we start off, I think it was sewers, greenery, uh, prison, prison, and then and, and grand, grand halls. halls. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then like what we had in there was still like very basic assets. Everything was like the square tile assets. And, yeah. you know, we, we eventually moved away from that and said, hey, let's let's drop this tile, this small tile system and go more towards this this chunk system where these uh, bigger chunks are less, you know, re- repeating. They look much cleaner. They have a higher right. fidelity to them. And um, they're also like avoiding uh, ni- like perfect ninety degree angles, which yeah. on a cartoon game, uh, this helped tremendously. Right. It was really difficult for me to take those words and figure out, okay, how is this actually going to work in the engine or on the art side of things? Um, so it that took a lot of back and forth between us, right, um, to get it right. But when we did, uh, the difference was truly night and day. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, I remember like we, we got that piece down and we're like, wow, it makes such a huge difference getting away from yeah. the one by one tiles and, and going into texture chunks for, for yeah. the, the terrain. And then um, I remember when we brought on some of the other artists too, like, like Anastasia or Adam and, and they started filling in some of these other gaps, like, um, like the, for the sewers and some of these buildings that were created or the greenery right. and the little characters that were, were created or the little <laughs> the houses. Yeah, people. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it just added so much color to the game. Yeah. You know, the, the, it, the backstory just got so deep. Right, right. And like everywhere you went, there was life. Uh, there were people around. And that was like, that was a big thing. Like, like this is a place with hundreds or thousands of residents. Like you want it to feel like someone they don't have to be on the screen right now but you want each area to feel like someone was living here someone was working here somebody passed through and left uh, a toolbox behind you know when right. they're doing their 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 work for the day yeah yeah i mean it's 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 been such an amazing evolution from where it began to where it is now and um yeah the the art the art and the gameplay, everything has just just grown a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, if there's if there's one thing in the game right now that is probably your favorite favorite piece, you know, what 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 would that be? Which part of the game, or what what character, or what level would be? Wow. what's what's personal for you and, and your favorite? Oh, man, that's a that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I really love Aftervale itself. Um, it was kind of a kind of a, an achievement for me as an artist because I don't really enjoy doing environments. So when it came time to make the like main street of the dungeon where you know all the businesses are based, where you know a lot of people live and there's a lot of activity, um, I it, it was a real challenge for me to be like how do i make a house that looks interesting but isn't just like a bland cube Mm -hmm. with like shingles on top of it um so i started doing research and thinking and i'm like you know i i feel like every building here should tell a visual story and like when you pass by it you get some sort of idea of what could be inside and you know i was doing my simple concepts in photoshop and sending those through and they were getting approved and um the final look of it, like 
it so it's not just it's not just me like you had a hand in some of the final uh polish in aftervale joel did a lot of great work in there uh, um when i walk through the streets of aftervale i just like it feels like home to me it's so warm and inviting and like it to me it really shows where we came like how how far this game has come because i remember the old hub system where you had your level your level select it was just so bare and so uninviting so boring it served a purpose and that was it but after veil now it serves a purpose but it's also like absolutely beautiful to run through and when i look at after veil now i see each of us i i see all of our fingerprints on that scene and uh it mean it means a lot to me yeah, you come back there to upgrade your magic. You know, you you ride the mine cart back to Aftervale to go and upgrade your sword with the blacksmith. Like, yeah, all of these cool, cool little things. Um, yeah. You know, they 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 may not be required for the gameplay. They're they're truly optional if you don't want to upgrade your sword or upgrade your magic <laughs> or anything like that. Like, right. But at least there there's life, right? There, there's yeah, there's yeah. things to do and um it, it's it's defining it as uh these dungeon dwellers home and where, where these monsters go about yeah their daily lives. you know when you when you walk through the street there and you just see everything you, you kind of i i hope players will get this feeling of what's at stake like this is a beautiful little village like these creatures they're like they're not monsters at all like they you know i really wanted to put forth this idea of like no, this is a civilization, an intelligent civilization. They have they have heart and they have passion and uh, literature and music and all this other stuff. Right. And it, this does not need to be lost. Um, yeah. So, uh, what's what's your favorite area or you know part of the part of the game? I, I don't know. There's so many. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, really hard. Yeah. I, I, I mean. There have been so many, so many areas in the game that that I, I put my hands on to help help build and, and decorate with, like, um, like our, our, like the greenery is one of my favorites because just the ambiance that's there and you know, yeah, like the terrain where it started with the with the bricks versus like <laughs> now getting the dirt and the grass and we have trees and shrubbery all around and like oh yeah um with like the light shafts coming in from the the, the canopy above like yeah there, there's just so much so much awesome stuff that was put into there and you know just going through the evolution of like very basic platforming with tiles up to this very lush and rich landscape has been yeah. has been really cool and you know i think the greenery also has some really really awesome gameplay uh especially with like ember when you when you need to do <laughs> do things with ember and like yeah. how that evolved and we got like the corkscrew attack for ember and now right. she, now she can hit the bad guys and you know kill some <laughs> of the flying bugs and stuff yeah the greenery is pretty incredible it's um a real love-hate relationship for me personally with the greenery. Um, I love where it ended up. I, I think it looks beautiful and very mystical. But that was the one area that was uh, a real thorn in my side for many months. Um, just moving out, moving off of that tile-based brick layout that we used to have, and just trying to figure out like how to actually make it look like a lush forest. Like it sounds simple to say it, 
and then in practice it was just uh very difficult right. <laughs> um it's but it's, you know it's it's all a learning process yeah and like it's it's more difficult because it's an organic an, an organic item that you're creating as a 2d asset that you need to reuse in multiple places so yeah you, you need to make it look natural um but you also need to make it look like it's a platform like that people can right. work on or, or do stuff on um yeah so it's because it's such an organic place like all of it is so organic it's like okay right angles do exist in the collision but we need to hide them as cleverly as possible right every every one of them <laughs> yep. yep yeah that's that's the biggest thing is the eye the eye is so trained to spot things that don't look natural in mm-hmm. a natural environment you know right like uh, pattern like we're trained to seek out patterns as well so that's going back to what you said like you don't want it to look like a bunch of repeated assets you want it to look like natural growth like two plants side by side aren't going to grow in the exact same way right so even if it is the same sprite maybe you tilt one a little or scale it down or scale it up slightly right or darken it a bit um we did a ton of that in the greenery and it kind of helped as we were figuring out how to do the greenery appropriately it kind of helped set the bar um it extended backwards or forwards into uh our other areas and we we're like you know we've learned all these great things and how to do our lighting how to um just how to really get the most out of this engine right uh and we just could apply it elsewhere as needed uh the lava forge was another big one very organic yep yeah the the organic piece and uh, you know just a lot of this experimentation um i think got us out of out of that mindset of like hey you know there's one plane and the player sits on it and you run back and forth on it. And we said, okay, how can we take all of these assets we have and really give depth to these areas yeah. where like it extends back much further than, you know, the single plane that the user or the player sits on. Right. Um, and we, we did a lot of that. I, I think I remember, I think the prison was the first area that we redid a lot of these tiles for um, and got yeah. like the yeah. texture chunks. And we started experimenting with like, like depth and how you can take textures and scale them down and darken them to push them back in uh in in distance from the camera Um, right and we just started we started going buck wild with that and that that, (laughs) yeah that was everywhere you know like because it's like it's like why not you know it's like um we we limited ourselves uh like we didn't do it like everywhere in every room because it's like if everywhere has crazy depth and beautiful parallax you kind of like you're not as excited when you see it because it's literally everywhere so um there are times where we bring the background right up close and you're you're in a small enclosed space and then we allow it to open back up again and even though i know what every area in the game looks like i'm still kind of like (gasps) it like takes your breath away for a second when you see uh some of the things that the team was able to accomplish and that makes me very proud like to be excited to play my own game again, um, it makes me extra excited to uh, to release it for the world. I agree. I agree. There's there, there's a lot a lot to show off. I think um, you know from from where where we started with the title and and being a, a one man show up to growing it into a, a legitimate story that has all of these gameplay and story elements. Um, 
with with a, a, a fantastic huge team of like really talented individuals um you know I'm, I'm i'm excited to to bring the game out there and show it show it to the entire world yeah yeah same it, it's weird like i'm not really scared of what people are going to say about it because i know that we did literally everything we could do <laughs> and probably then some <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think the the last the last probably eight to ten months is where we really locked in process we locked in story we locked in textures and assets and gameplay yeah. and really just went heads down and I, I i think part of the reason why like there was a certain period of time where we were very quiet on social media and quiet on steam forums was because the team was just like heads down working away trying to create this totally revamped game uh yeah. from the ground up yeah quite an undertaking and skull attack isn't a massive game but still the work that went into it is just uh it's absolutely insane yep yep yeah and we had like really amazing things we wanted to show off so badly but we couldn't you know we kind of needed to uh make sure this is how we want this area to look or how we want this boss fight to look and uh some things we just you know we're like they'll appreciate it if we show the the, the best version of it later on i right. think <laughs> right yeah so so stay tuned we're, we'll, we'll be doing some more um more sharing of insights and backgrounds um, for you know the game, the different areas, uh, the rest of our team, and you know some of their individual insights around um, you know either writing the story or marketing or uh, creation of individual assets or, or gameplay mechanics. So uh, th this series will will continue, will extend, and you guys will get an even deeper insight into the making of Skeletac. Um, Dave, anything else you want to cover off on um, today with, with the audience and uh, the, the background and secrets that were shared along the way? <laughs> um, man, not really. I, I, uh, I think we've, we've pretty much covered, covered everything. Um, yeah, all, I can, all I can say is just like I am so very excited for, for all of you to, to experience this story that's been kicking around in my brain since 2015. Um, and you know, anyone who happens to be currently making a game, uh, I, I hope that this podcast series will give you the insight that you need to, um, just buckle down and keep going. You, you got this, you can do this. <laughs> cool. So stay tuned more to come. Uh, again, hit us up on Twitter, uh, at Skeletech, um, or at Dave underscore draws. Um, and we will talk to you in the next episode. Yeah. Take right. care guys. Cheers.